Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. In a way, I'm even having more fun now, uh, maybe it's just my nature because um, I, I like... I like the idea of accessibility. Uh, I like the idea that you don't have to, you sure as heck can, but you don't have to spend $2,000 on a bottle of wine to have a great experience. You know, mm-hmm. it, and I guess the fun comes back where discovering new things, discovering uh, wines that you really didn't know that well, haven't gotten to know that well, or, or weren't really on the radar because uh, I was in a different, much different angle of the business that really sort of put everything else on the back burner uh the wine world is so exciting you know constantly changing and there's always a new vintage there's up-and-coming regions new winemakers uh, new styles new experiments with varietals Mm -hmm. in places that didn't normally do and of course with you know what's happening with climate change and all this i mean that adds an element that some regions that weren't as successful are now having more success with Mm -hmm. wine and some regions that were very successful that are at risk of not having the kind of wines they used to make. We're seeing it, you know, in yeah, alcohol absolutely. levels and ripeness and earlier pickings. I mean, it's, you know, with this with not even making a political comment, but I mean, you can see if you look at, I, I know this from spending a lot of time, especially in Burgundy, you know, you talk to the Burgundians there, you, you look at their, you know, picking dates and how just over the last 10, 20 years, you know, it's, earlier and earlier on average, you know, and mm-hmm. there, it, it, it's some picking dates that even, you know, 25, 30 years ago, or, or they talk about, you know, their fathers and mothers who have now passed on, or even their grandfathers, grandmothers who've passed on the businesses, they would, and the work would be rolling in their grave if they knew, what, mm-hmm. you're picking in August, you know, or, or you know, yeah, you know what I mean? Or, but, but it's the reality. So anyway, you know, uh, it, the wine world's always in some kind of interesting flux, mm-hmm. and so it really, it's still. I, I think I'm, I'm even more like intellectually stimulated by wine now, even more than in the auction days, because it's it's it's. I, I like. Uh, I one of my goals, <clears throat> and one of one of the reasons when I was considering leaving auctions, I, I wanted to get back more to the root of it, be closer to the source, if you will, find a way, not go buy a winery or go work at a, become yeah. a winemaker per se, but uh, yeah, work, find a way to work more closely with the people that are really doing it, making the craft. And so that that's how I got um, more focused now on the burgundy business I do. And then of course, uh, doing this wine, Licato, and that's with a uh, partnership with uh, Raekwon, the hip-hop artist who's with the uh, Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> and um, so it's really cool kind of, I'm having the time of my life with it because it's, it's, it's really kind of like two very disparate segments. Yeah. Not necessarily opposites, but here's, here's like a mass-marketed, what, what we're going for with Licata. It's more of trying to create a wine brand. Yeah. Uh, for a, a more mass market, mm-hmm. and uh, but still getting to work with Burgundy, the most artisanal, low Old production, school. hard to find mm-hmm. 
uh, expensive, rare wines. So it's so cool, you know. And really, this both projects, I'm working very closely with the winemakers, you know, one on one, and literally doing business directly with them now. You know, and some of them, especially in Burgundy, become very close friends with, almost like family. Especially, I've got I, uh, Domaine Fourier. Uh, I, I've known Jean Marie um, and Vicky for. Wow, a long time now, well over, I don't know, 15 years or so. And, and I actually, what's it, been, it's been so cool because when I was getting to know them and their wines, they, they were only starting to be kind of, they're kind of bubbling up as a, a Burgundy house that had changed hands and Jean Marie had taken over in the mid nineties. <clears throat> and by the early aughts, he was, really starting to find his own with his style and the quality of his wines. And, uh, and uh, in a strange way, I, I feel, I almost, I mean, he's a little older, he's a little old, older than I am, uh, but his trajectory was kind of, kind of like, was mirroring mine, I think, in mm -hmm. a different way. And so I've, I've, we, we're extremely close because I think we both can understand uh, a path in the wine world where you know you work really hard you're not you know you're just trying to do a good job you're trying to do the right thing and you have success with it and you follow that and now Jean-Marie his wines are some of the most sought after and some of the best burgundy wines out there and and uh, I'm lucky enough that now that I'm not with auctions I work directly with him and that's great you know and I uh, go burgundy stay with him and get to know him I know his wine so intimately well and it's just it's just such a it's a wonderful thing and there's I don't I can't really think of any other industries <laughs> that are quite like that where mm -hmm. you know the the relationship with the actual product and the relationship with those making it uh with those of us in the industry or even just the passionate consumers connoisseurs or wine lovers or what it's a really cool world you know you know what I absolutely agree and what I love about your story and I just want to highlight a few things so without formal production like winemaking background or marketing or educational such as going after the sommelier credentials and such like that your entire wine experience if you will the depth of breadth of it was very real time yeah you learn on the job and you tasted what we call unicorn wines on a regular basis and I like to think that we all have palates and the validity is inherent it's within yeah however some of us have much greater exposure yeah and you've arguably had creme de la creme it's probably as good as it gets so based upon that you instead of kind of saying hey I'm just going to continue to be in that world because you had that choice mm -hmm. You could have continued this career. You were very highly thought after. You had very unique skill set and expertise. Yeah. You decided that your time and your intent is best served elsewhere. And I find that so important. I just want to really pause on that because mm -hmm. when you're at a certain point in your career and you've, you know, by all definitions of success, you've arrived, you've made it really far in the wine world. Yeah. And you have the opportunity to really um, kind of write your own 
ticket, right? Yeah. And the ensuing choices that you made had to be informed by that. Yeah, well, <clears throat> without question, I, I, uh, it, it very much was uh, be, being, being in uh, get, cutting my teeth in the wine world by virtue of uh, the auction side of the business. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted to be in that world simply to have that kind of exposure to the best mm -hmm. of the best. I, I wasn't not a, a struggling kid just out of college. Sarah yeah. and I were just getting by in New York City, and and uh, again, not not the kind of budget or income to just have first growth Bordeaux or you know the expensive wines of the time. And I really knew the only way <clears throat> to really get immersed and really learn and get uh, an understanding of these wines. And, and I, I really wanted to go for the high level stuff to really know what's the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so auction without question, um, that is really the only realm for a, a wine professional to get that kind of regular exposure to literally all of only the greatest wines of the world mm -hmm. and uh i it was i had no idea what was in store because it only t <laughs> it was only uh it doesn't didn't take that much time and then suddenly yeah you know wow i had my first drc my first lafitte or 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 uh 19 my first 1961 bordeaux or first you know truly mature wonderfully aged you know champagne and it, it was it happened fast too and then you know if you're fast fast forward about a decade or so later and suddenly yeah i look back and i you could name a wine and i've had it for the most part that's such a powerful statement like let's think about it for a moment even if you were sommelier unless you're in a you know, Michelin star, really lustrous restaurant, you don't get that kind of exposure. Even if you a very famous, renowned winemaker, yes, you taste a lot of wines, and hopefully other brands all the time, but just the sheer volume. Yeah. And the, the breadth, I mean, it, it literally, breadth, yeah. they're, they're even, I have a lot of friends, sommelier friends a lot, and I'm very close with a lot of <clears throat> the people in the you know the wine programs and at some of the best restaurants around especially new york but around the world and uh i talk about great palates they they, they may taste a lot more because literally they're screening every bottle they're tasting yeah. they have uh you know distributors and people coming in all the time tasting and, and then they go to they get invited to the good tastings they, they may be tasting a lot more but it's 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 narrower um mm -hmm. and depending on what restaurant what kind of wine program it is it's going to be very focused and specific driven, to what they're doing it's driven yeah? by the purpose of yeah the, so yeah, um, but even and then i was discovering it's amazing yeah even going to places like burgundy <clears throat> and you're thinking well this burgundy i mean they must know all the wines they must yeah. i mean th 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 there could be burgundy makers that <laughs> whose domain is just a few blocks down from domain de la romani conti and they've never had a drc wine you know or or right. also they don't there's not you also take for granted that well, of course, you know, I remember some of my first trips to Burgundy, not knowing what I know now, but you also just assume, well, they must know all these older vintages just like I sure. do, you know, they, they must know all the great 
yeah. uh, I'll be able to talk to them about the 69s and the 71s and 59s. And, and mm -hmm. No, you know, they barely had, they barely have any wines that are, you know, uh, older than whatever the current vintage is for the most part. I mean, you know, they don't, most of the Burgundians have no kind of cellar. They have to sell the wine. Sure. You know, the history of Burgundy, they needed, they would barely survive each vintage, some of them. Um, but you, you take, you take, you almost, it, it helped me, I guess, from taking it for granted too much, uh, and co continuing to appreciate that being in that unique kind of position yeah. was, was meeting that goal I had and then some, you know, uh, so it was, it was unbelievable, literally. And I was very, I'll have to show you, I haven't put away, I have a whole like thing of wine notes and wine programs and things like this. I stopped doing notes a few years ago. Uh, I can't remember the last time I did a wine note. I was really, really diligent because I, I wanted to somehow, you want to preserve these moments in a way, but also I knew there was such opportunity to, to these are the, this is the dream come true. So you know, wow. jot it down. So I have no, a lot of notebooks of, of notes, uh, and I haven't looked at them in a long time. I've just been toting them around when I've moved, and I don't even know where they are right now. I hope I didn't chuck them on. I am going to ask you to find them because I am almost tearing up right now. I used to take a lot of tasting notes, and you're right. It was really not for any other purpose other than just capturing this moment because when I look back at my um, 78 moment. Oh wow! Yeah. How how do I capture it? Yeah. And the only tangible ways maybe to scribble something on a napkin or. A, and or and a now today journal. with smartphones you can take a photo or exactly. something. You know you can take a photo with a bottle. It's gotten but... easier, so I can relate so wholeheartedly. And I just I really want to highlight this in every possible way that I can. The fact that you are not tethered to any agenda, um, regardless of what you're occupation in the wine world is typically you have a responsibility you know whether it's a restaurant with a wine program or a winery and that kind of puts you in a bit of a shackles yeah in, in yeah. your case the world was your oyster exactly yeah exactly and i think um i thankfully <clears throat> and it's it's what kept me in the business for as long as i was in it it may not sound like i was around that long i mean i guess it was uh I mean, officially working in auction houses a dozen years or so. I still do, to this day, I still have activity with the auction houses. I just don't affiliate with any of them. I, I still do some buying, selling. I have clients that uh, I, I never wanted to do, like focus on the private client thing that some wine professionals do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, I have clients who've come to me want, wanting some help because also they know I'm not, I'm disconnected from it now. But mm -hmm. I, I still have enough knowledge and experience to to help guide people. Uh, for example, last year, uh, Sotheby's had a sale in Hong Kong. It was March of last year and a grossed, yeah, the total was almost 30 million US. Wow. And this was a friend of mine, one of my closest friends that, that of course I met by virtue of being in the wine mm -hmm. world, the wine auction world, uh, <laughs> came to me and, and uh, he wanted to pare down his cellar and um, so this was an enormous project. It, it, it's the largest private wine collection ever sold at auction. How about that? There was a there was an auction of Jaillet wines that were still part of the Jaillet family holdings that had sold uh, maybe late 2018. I think like mm -hmm. it just edged 
out this sale by like maybe a million bucks or something. And otherwise this would have been the largest wine, single wine auction in the history. But it's so, but it was the first, it was the largest that was by any one private individual. And he was, he's one of my best friends. And uh, so that, so I, I still get to touch and play in it sometimes, but it's in a way that it's so much more fun, you know, yes. and it's more being disconnected. I think the thing I miss, what I missed the most about the auction business actually I really, I mean, I feel like I've had all the wine experiences. I, mm -hmm. I, I have no problem now. <laughs> I, I have no, uh, um, I'm not, I'm not lacking like for wine, enjoyable wine experiences. Now I, I drink much more modestly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not around the table with magnums of Latosh anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I was, um, uh, but I, uh, think I, I don't I, so I don't I don't necessarily miss that what I do miss the most is uh, the actual auctioneering I yeah. loved being the auctioneer oh the energy it was and the, the rush it was the only time <laughs> in the such a hectic chaotic crazy kind of job crazy kind of world with mm -hmm. me, trying to meet so many different kind of people's expectations and mm -hmm. and make so many things try to work <clears throat> it was actually the one time where you really have full control over what's going on because everything revolves around what the auctioneer is doing and so i loved it it was honestly like it was a very peaceful part of the work <laughs> it took me a while to get comfortable with it uh but i will say that's the one thing i miss um i miss auctioneering a lot because uh, it was just fun and it was a great way to interact with mm -hmm. the clientele too in a fun way and mm -hmm. uh but otherwise, I don't, I don't, <clears throat> there's, I'm, I'm glad it's behind, you know, and then steps that I've made now, um, it seems like it's been a great progression. Uh, much more uncertainty with the kind of projects I have now. Yeah, mm -hmm. like you say, you don't know, you want to start a wine brand. I mean, there's so many wine brands. I mean, literally, you could just be another dusty bottle on a shelf. Mm -hmm. That's a risk you take, you know. And you're a practical person. There's a sense of sensibility, if you will, about what you do. So I'm sure that there's a lot more behind, a lot more thoughtful approach to this than meets the eye. So tell us more about, for example, the Burgundy that you import. Yeah. You have a very <clears throat> deep, intimate, personalized relationship. But what drives your choices as? Well, I'll, I'll yeah. I'll, I'll get into that. I, I think I need to back up a bit to explain a little bit more about uh, leaving the auction world, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which of course then led to getting course, into Burgundy. And but I actually, um, I, when I re I resigned from Wally's, actually with no uh, no hard and fast practical uh, uh, next step in right. line. Wow. I did it though with the confidence knowing it would give me the <clears throat> chance to explore other areas. It would give me a chance to disconnect from the uh, auction industry. Um, it would give me a chance to. I, I felt like I was. There's. I, I, I was at a point in time I, I wanted to kind of get my life back a little bit because the auction world is so consuming so consuming and mm -hmm. i was you know leading up to the decision so many things were happening 
uh, I had left Zaki's uh, 2000, mid-2013 mm-hmm. when I was presented with this opportunity to start <clears throat> a new auction house with uh, Wally's out of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the Marciano family of um, the Guess uh, Jeans brand had bought um, bought out um, Steve Wallace, who was the founder of Wally's, mm-hmm. and, uh, and became partners with Christian Navarro. Christian had become partner with Steve in, with, in the 90s or something with, mm-hmm. uh, at, at Wally's. <clears throat> so Christian was staying on to really... Uh, Wally's was his with the Marciano backing. There was this whole dream of Wally's all over the place, Wally's markets, Wally's wine shops and airports and big dreams, you mm-hmm. know, and a lot of talk yeah. and, uh, and a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of starry-eyed uh, sort of. Um, let me just say things that, if if you see where it is now, obviously never yeah. didn't happen. Sounds like there's a lot of ambition involved. Well, in yeah, execution I think execution didn't quite. No, and um, I so I was brought on. Uh, you know, among the big plan, the bigger plans the Christian had was. You know, we'll do our own auction house. Cool. I known Christian a long time. I yeah. met him very early on after joining Zaki. Zaki's. <coughs> um, there was a, a few years that we were doing auctions in Los Angeles with Wally's as, as a partner okay. of ours, and uh, so I got to know Christian very, very well. Knew L.A. really, really well, uh, and um, so we had this. We had a long-standing relationship, and uh, when the Marciano purchase <coughs> was happening. Yeah, he approached me, and it sounded great. And uh, it sounded like there'd be a lot of support, a lot of capitalization. You need mm-hmm. that. You need a good name. You need a good client base. You need good reputation. And so it ticked off a lot of boxes about if you were to start an, an, an enormously ambitious project like this, it seemed like the best scenario you could ask for. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, you know, then there's reality. And I got to admit, I think... Um, it didn't take long after coming over to Wally's. Uh, I didn't feel like making a mistake, but it wasn't this big dream that was sold mm-hmm. to me. And yeah. I could see that. And for so many reasons, it's just, it's fine. I mean, all the ambition in the world is great, but there's, uh, y- you know, you can only, people can only do so much, of you know. And there wasn't really the kind of organization in place to execute these grand plans, let alone the personalities involved. I realized they, it wasn't really uh, likely in their capacity for right. this to happen. That's not a, judge, not a judgment of Marcianos at all. Actually, the coolest thing was hanging out with guys like Mar- uh, Maurice Marciano, Paul Marciano. I mean, these guys are so creative, so you know, brilliant business dudes. And I mean, 
I remember just being a kid in the 80s getting my first pair of guest jeans and that was like the coolest thing in the world and my it was my mom said we're only buying one pair of guest jeans in your life so if you're doing it now you're doing it now and it's like but every kid if you didn't have a pair of guest jeans you weren't you know you were a nerd or whatever so and I wore them like every day even when they were tattered and whatever you know I had this reverence for it because this they, they, they these were guys that knew knew how to really build something up you know they started with Nothing, just a dream in L.A., and suddenly guest jeans, the biggest thing in the world, you know. And uh, so they were they were really great, actually. Some they were the best marketing campaign. Oh, man. And and they were very, very hardworking guys, very close with the Wally's stuff. We would have events at, like, Paul's house in Beverly Hills, and, yeah, celebrities would be there, and the winemakers and stuff, and it was really great. So, I mean, these guys, they were really behind it. I just, I just think, mm-hmm. you know, it was a good lesson in... in um, you know, new ventures, new plans, new ideas, uh, and uh, I, I, the disconnect probably, and why, if you see where uh, Wally's is today versus all of the wild dreams and plans, and even what the press releases were saying. I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. saying things that are all public knowledge here. Right. So I mean, and I'm I'm trying to choose my words carefully, but it it, it didn't happen. You know, so there's, there's, a, you know, it's, it's not, it's not this. I, I think there, I think even the Marcianos probably got more realistic about how capital intensive it is, how time, and how the margins are so Absolutely. thin, and you know, if they're going to yeah. have a certain amount of money to do something with, they have other opportunities. Probably mm-hmm. all this stuff, and um, so, I, I, it was early on. I, I noticed. I, I didn't really. I didn't have. <laughs> a lot of faith that these big wild dreams were going to come true. You know, it's an interesting cautionary tale. Even with formidable resources and a lot of intentionality, things sometimes just fall apart. Yeah, well, and you know, it's and it's not... Wally's, I mean, Wally's is still going strong with, I guess they have... They have a very beautiful store. They have the place in Beverly, Beverly Hills, Hills yeah. which was open while I was there, and it's amazing, and it's so cool. I go there... I mean, we were we were in LA last summer, and mm-hmm. I stopped in a couple times. Yeah, it was impressive. the first time. It was the first time I had seen, or even talked to Christian since I resigned. And um, uh, and they I get they have a location in Santa Monica now. So clearly, okay, Wally didn't fall apart. It didn't burn and crash. No, yeah. but it, the, but the plans change and things change yeah. when you're in the heat of battle, and you got to be yeah. be able to do that. And so I I, I noticed I could tell that's what was happening while I was there and I accepted it, uh, I, I, I felt, I, I could, I just got this feeling that, you know, my time in the auction business was coming to an end, but I wanted to, I wanted to have my own control over it. I wanted to dictate how I would get out and where I would go after that. And I was, I was very unhappy. Uh, and I tried I worked, I never worked harder, and I worked my ass off with Zachy. So, I mean, I worked my ass off with Deloitte. But, I mean, trying to, starting this thing up, you know, unfortunately, it, it, we had this real, we had a great burst. Mm-hmm. And it, it really, I believe it could have been something truly special. And yeah. it, it really could have been something even to this day. I mean, we could be talking and I could still be running Wally's auctions. Yeah. But uh, I felt... It, it felt a sense of abandonment a little bit mm. because of how uh, the, the the internal projects that became 
really important took focus off of what we were trying to do mm -hmm. and it's really hard to get established as an auction house and it has to it requires a lot of focus it requires a huge team effort from all levels you know and with people working very closely together the conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast already available for your download thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of pal exposure featuring elona thompson 